Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, thanking you in advance for listening to the following Shi'ur Torah. Good afternoon, ladies. Kedarkenu Bakodesh. I'd like to start with a beracha. Baruch Ata Adonai Elohenu Melech Haolam Shakol Nehiya Bilbaro. In the 16th century, the great rabbi by the name of the Maharshal. The Maharshal lived at the time of the Maharsha. And if you take a good look in the back of the Gemara, you'll find from the prominent commentaries, you have the Maharsha on the upper portion of the page, and then on the bottom, you have the Maharshal. The Maharshal was a Gaon Atsum, he was a Gidole Hador at that time in the world. He was a very prolific writer. He not only wrote the Maharshal at the bottom of the Maharsha, he also wrote Chochmat Shlomo, he also wrote the Yamshel Shlomo. So he wrote on Shulchan Aruch, he wrote on Shas, Gimara, he wrote on the commentary of the Maharsha. He wrote so much, he was something of a great, unbelievable Gaon. In the town of the Maharshal, there was an older man, a gentleman, that his wife was dying on her deathbed. The man went through very trying times through her sickness. And now he saw that these were the last moments. So out of a last ditch effort and burst of love, he swore to her on her deathbed that he was never to remarry again. And this was to show those last minutes of how much he meant to her or she meant to him. And sure enough with those last, that last dying swearing, that was the last minutes of her life. And she closed her eyes and she paced. And at that time he said to himself, I'm holding to my word, I swore, it was a shavuah. It was done with full knowledge, I'm never to marry again. Well, he buried his wife. And he came out of the shiva and then the shloshim. And you know, as the year passed, as time went on and the year was over, he finds himself very lonely. And he starts thinking to himself, at the moment, at the time he really meant it, but now, He's still not that old. He still would like to have some companionship. Loneliness is not something that anyone wants to make peace with. So he says, there has to be a way out of this. I have to be able to get out of the Shavuah. So he goes straight to the house of the great rabbi, the Maharshal, and he says, Harav, there has to be a way that you can get me out of the Shavuah. Hatarat nidarim, mefir Shavuah, something. The rabbi tells him, in your particular case, what you're asking for is simple. You see, the whole concept of making a shavuah or a neder, that only is given to the person on things that are up to you to do. But something that was given to you by the Torah as a mitzvah that you're obligated to do, that you have no ability to make a shavuah against. It's a mitzvah to marry. So if you're going to make now a shavuah against the mitzvah that you are already obligated by the Torah to do, your shavuah is already null and void. And it's because of that, says the Maharshal, feel comfortable, 
feel confident, feel free to go out and marry again. And with those words, those words of confidence, the psak of the Maharshal, this man went out and shortly he found a wonderful middle-aged woman to remarry. It was her second marriage, his second marriage, and together they were very wonderful together. He's now married to his second wife for a month and literally 30 days to the night of his second wedding, the man passes away in his sleep. He dies. His second wife, after burying her second husband, she comes to the Maharshal upset and angry. And she points a finger at the rabbi. And she says, Rabbi, it's your fault. It's always the rabbi's fault, by the way. It's your fault. Why did you give him the heter? Why did you just tell him, I'm sorry. You swore, your word's your word. You're stuck. You can't remarry. She says, you would have done him a favor. He'd still be alive today. And he would have done me a favor because I wouldn't have gotten involved in a relationship with somebody that was breaking a shavuah on the deathbed of his previous wife. And let's, let's, let's face it, Rabbi, we both know why he's dead. We both understand. It's because of the oath he took never to remarry. Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you do this to him? The marshal, he felt terrible. He was really moved. But he told her, can I tell you, that is the halakha. I didn't say anything wrong. I did what was the truth. She stormed out of the rabbi's house. She wouldn't hear another word. The marshal was so moved by the broken heart of this woman that that night he sat up and he wrote, he put ink to paper, parchment. He wrote an entire teshuvah, a she'ela and teshuvah on this very scenario and how and the reasons why he was posek the way he poskined and why he allowed and gave the heter for this man to go and remarry to another woman and why he was correct for telling the man what he told him. And then ladies, please fasten your seatbelts. I know this is not gonna be easy to hear, forgive me, but I have the story written in the sefer. The marshal the next morning takes the document that he wrote of the psak halacha. And the next morning he goes out to the cemetery and he takes the document and he puts it inside the grave of the man and the man sits up. Now I know, I know, please don't look at me like that, I know. But this is the story of the Maharshal. That's how great the giants of these Geonim, these great Gedolim were. Ladies, you have to stand, you have to understand something. When Hashem gave us the Torah, he didn't just give us a book with knowledge. He didn't just give us the rights to accept and practice Torah, but rather the fight that Moshe Rabbeinu had with the angels in heaven was over the keys to the store. Who is the Baalim on the Torah? Who owns the Torah? Who gets the last word of the Torah? Who is the ones that when we say the halakha is like this, that's what makes the reality of the world. And that's what was given to the Jewish people. It wasn't just given a Torah. We were given literally the ownership on the Torah. And what we say goes. And when we make a psak halacha, guess what? If that's the way we paskin, Shamayim follows audits, not the other way. 
And we have many proofs to this. But this story is yet another proof. Because the Maharshal Paskind, the Halakha is, the man was allowed to remarry in spite of the Shavuah he made. And because of that, according to his Psak, there should never have been a judgment of death. The moment he put his Psak into the grave, the man sat back up. And this story goes on. The man gets up, the Marshal helps him out of the grave. The man goes with the Marshal back to town. The people in the town were beside themselves. The rabbi comes walking in with the guy that they just attended his funeral the day before. Unbelievable. He walks with the man up to the house and he knocks on his second wife's door. And he says to her, says the marshal, here he is. Here's your husband back. No ta'anot. She couldn't believe her eyes, like everybody else in the town. It was at that point that the word got out and it was pandemonium in town. Sure enough. About a month later, ladies, about a month later, there's a knock on the marshal's door. And who is it? This woman yet again, the man's second wife. And she comes to the rabbi and she says, Rabbi, I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I don't like him anymore. He's not the same guy I met and married from before he died to after he died. I just don't know what happened to the guy. <laughs> I don't understand. I don't like him. I look at him and I see a guy that died. And I just don't have any feeling for him anymore. I don't know what to do. I just don't want to be with him anymore. Marshal thinks to himself, after all that, after all that, she doesn't like him. The Marshal tells her, I'm going to pray. I'm going to daven. That Bezat Hashem, the feelings and the love will come back. And that you'll love him again like you did when you first met him before he died. And the marshal went and he prayed for days and days. And sure enough, at the end of that week, the lady comes back and says to the rabbi, Rabbi, I don't know what you did, but I woke up with such a love for my husband that I'm telling you, thank you. It's mamash the way it was. Thank you, I want to stay with him. Ladies, the great Baalei Musar, when they heard this amazing, hard to believe, but yet amazing, true story of the Maharshal. You know what they said? They said that the second miracle that the Maharshal did was bigger than the first miracle. You know why? Because it's easier to bring the dead back to life than it is to change one heart. And I'd like to say that again because this is really what my class is on. It's easier to bring the dead back to life, that to change the heart or the mind of one person. That's an amazing thing. What a statement. Aye, aye, aye. And it's amazing, you look at it, you'll see. We just read, Hashem changed Paro's heart nine times. And each time it was a miracle. And each time the miracle was huge, it was bigger than changing life and death. But yet, it's not just that. Borei Olam shows us that we have the power to change hearts. And sure enough, when Mashiach comes, what does the Pasuk say? All the Goyim, not just Paro, 
all the goyim of the world, they're going to have a tremendous change of heart to what they believe in, and they will all believe in Hashem. Everyone in the world, they're going to give up the 14,999 other religions that there are right now in the world practiced today, other than Judaism. All those religions are going to be totally abandoned, and they're going to move away from all the Sheker, and they're going to have a major change of heart, and they're going to come to only believe in Hashem. Why? Because Hashem's the one that Bochen Levabot. Hashem knows what's in the heart. Hashem reads the heart. Hashem sees the heart. And Hashem can change the heart. By Paro, he changed the heart for the worse. Because the Rambam taught us that when someone is such a Rasha for so long, Hashem takes away from that person the gift of the power of choice. In the goyim of the world, when Mashiach comes, it's going to be for the good. They're going to realize finally truth. They're going to see who was behind the veil all along. Not anything that they thought, but rather the emet, bore olam. And now Hashem turns to us and He tells to us, the halachta bidrachav, klal Yisrael, you're a godly people. I want you to emulate me, says Hashem. Just like I'm able to change hearts, you have an obligation to change the hearts of the people of the world, to see why you're the light onto the nations, to see why you're the chosen people, to see why I picked you as a nation. Change the hearts of the goyim on the way they think about Jews. And do you know where we get this from? We get this from the last two makot. On the last two makot, makat choshech, the Egyptians, those were standing, couldn't sit. Those were sit, couldn't stand. It was Choshech Afela. They were totally zombied, immobilized. They couldn't move. But yet, Klal Yisrael was able to go in and see everything where all their wealth was from beginning to end. Comes after the last Makkah, Makkah Bechorot, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Daber na beozneha. Please, he pleaded with Moshe, please go to the Jewish people and ask them to go to the Egyptians and get from them and borrow from them their money, their wealth, to take it all. Why? Rashi tells us, because of Oto Zaken. Hashem says, because of that old man, because of Abraham Avinu, I promised him that when I'm to take his kids, when I'm taking Kuala Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, it's going to be Berchush Gadol. It's going to be with a tremendous wealth. And that's what happened. They go knocking on the doors. And we all know the famous Midrash. The Midrash says that they knocked on the doors and they said to their Egyptian neighbors, can we please borrow? You know that golden goblet that you have on the third shelf in the uh, china closet in your... And can we also have the safe? And can we also have your painting? And they said, amazing. They know exactly where everything is in the house. Wait one second. How do you guys know where everything in our... Wow. You mean to tell me you know where everything is in our houses? And you didn't take a thing? You didn't take anything? You could have wiped us clean. By the way, ladies, I want to tell you something fantastic. I wasn't planning to say this, but the grandson of the Hatam Sofer, he asked his grandfather the night of Pesach. This is a great tidbit. 
he, and you could use this this year. He is Bezat Hashem this year. Ah, Pesach, what it's going to be. He asked his grandfather the night of Pesach, the Khatam Sofer. He said to him as a young boy, he was a Khatam Sofer, a grandson. He says, Zayde, how come we have this minhag to steal the Afikoman? Where does that come from? Stealing? We teach people to steal? It's not our thing. Stealing the Afikoman? Where do we get this from? Where did the minhag come from? I was waiting for somebody over the years to give a good answer. We never really got, you know. Anyways, listen to Khatam Sofer says. He says something fantastic. He says, the night of Makat Bechorot, it's the night we left Egypt. That's the night that Pesach commemorates. He says, you know what happened that night? That night, and you have to appreciate this, in Egypt, there were no alarm systems. There were no security systems. What did they use for security? In Egypt, they used dogs. And by the way, ladies, between me and you, I've heard from many locksmiths. They say real professional thieves, burglars, ganavim, they're not scared of alarm systems. They're not scared of locks. They'll get through, you give them enough time, they can get through anything, including the alarm systems. There's one thing they can't stand, a dog. A real dog, an attack dog. I'm not talking about a poodle, you know, French little, okay, whatever. I'm talking about a real attack dog. They can't, they, they hear a dog, a ferocious Doberman pincher barking, they're out of there. It's not worth it. They'll go to a different house. Why do you got to deal with that? In Egypt, the security system were dogs. Ah, but the night, the night that we left Egypt, the night of Makkah Bechorot, what does the Pasuk say? Bechol b'nei Yisrael lo yechratz kelev At that night, out of honor for Klal Yisrael and for Borei Olam, the dogs would not bark that night. And by the way, we learn a lot of things out from these dogs, and they were rewarded for this, that they didn't bark with tremendous rewards to the extent that you can't even believe how much. To the extent that they say that you can't have a Sefer Torah or Tefillin or Mezuzah if not for the dog. Many people don't know this. But the dog was given the honor because of that night that they didn't bark to bring out Hashem's honor. Because of that, the Halakha states that the parchment that we write a Sefer Torah or Tefillin or Mezuzah, it has to be treated with the excrement of dogs or else it's not kosher. And therefore you can't have a Sefer Torah or Tefillin or Mezuzah without dogs. They were given the Zichut that night. By the way, from this we also learn how much of the reward in heaven on someone who wants to bark, wants to say something they shouldn't say and they keep their mouth closed. But that's for a different class. Anyways, the bottom line is, because that night, the dogs didn't bark, so that means that the security system of Egypt was down. The Midrash says that night, there were so many Ginevot. They were being robbed right and left by Egyptians because they knew, hey, sum up with the dogs. And because I can walk into any house and steal whatever I want. So because there were so many Ginevot, the night of Makat Bechorot, because the dogs wouldn't bark the night we left Egypt, the night we commemorate, the night of Pesach. That's why, said the Khatam Sofer, we also do a little Gineva to remember the Ginevot that night in Egypt. We steal the Afikoman, the, the kosher Gineva, just to remember what took place, the amazing occurrence of that night in Egypt that we left. Wow, amazing. Nonetheless, coming back to our point, we could have stole the night of Makat Choshech and we didn't. 
While the Egyptians were stealing, we were borrowing, asking for their klekesef, klezahav. And when the homeowners said, what? They know where everything is. And they didn't take anything? Wow. Tonight, the Egyptians are stealing everything. And the Jews, they could have had a score. They could have taken anything they want. And they didn't take a thing. Look at these amazing people. Look at these amazing people. That's why the Pasuk says that Hashem placed the chen be'ene ha'am vayash ilum. God brought a tremendous grace and a chen that the Jewish people, the last night, found in the eyes of the Egyptians because they were amazed that we could have robbed them and we didn't take a penny. They said, these are great people. And not just that, Ish Moshe Hazak Mehod, it says, not just the Jewish people were looked at as an amazing people by the Egyptians that night, but also Moshe was looked at as an amazing super person, as a great leader of Klal Yisrael. Says the Baalei Kabbalah, the night of Egypt and its redemption, that's the prototype for all redemptions to come, especially ours. Now, we're living in an American Egypt. Right now, just like in Egypt, the only way we can get out, there was a condition that we'd have to find chen in the eyes of the goyim to change their hearts, to have a good impression of what a Jew is, to make a Kiddush Hashem. So too, on the final Geulah that we're waiting for right now, the final redemption in this American Egypt that we're in now, we also have to find ways to find chen and change the hearts of the goyim to think good about Klal Yisrael. That's part of the conditions to get out. Just like in Egypt, just like the final Geulah as well. How do we do that? Says Borela, you know how to do it. Klal Yisrael, you know how to do it. Be Klal Yisrael, but the real Klal Yisrael. And already, your majesty, the ways, the behavior that you practice, that itself, the Goyim are already in awe of. Just stick to the plan. Be a true Klal Yisrael. And that's the way to be a godly people. That's the way to emulate Hashem. That's the way to change hearts and to change their impression of what a Jew is all about. And we need work in this department, especially before midwinter vacation. We need work in this department. So many people are going away. And sometimes we feel on the road, hey, I'm on vacay, don't bother me. And suddenly we just drop all our morals and we drop everything that we practice and everything we believe in because hey I'm on vacation and we're around Goyim and we leave the tri-state area and we don't realize that the Goyim out there they might not they might not be so prevalent around Jews so you might be making the one impression that they may have of a Jew for a long time and you know how people are the minute they jump to a conclusion on one Jew, that's it. They're all, they're all rabbis, by the way. They're all rabbis. All of them. Some have beards, some don't have beards, but they all have the thing on the head. They're right. Hopefully they have something on the head. They're all rabbis. That's the way to go and look at us. So one Jew in a bad situation could literally wipe out the reputation of a whole nation. We were put here to do Kiddush Hashem. And that Kiddush Hashem carries much more weight on the final moments before the coming of Mashiach. Because just like in Mitzrayim, we needed to find Chen Be'ene Ha'am. That's the prototype, the mother of all future redemptions. 
Now the final redemption. Two, we have to find Chen in the eyes to show them what the beauty of a Jew is all about. That we're an honest people. And we're a good people. And we're the only moral, godly people left. But we got to show it to them. we got to change hearts. Because like we said, sometimes it's easier to bring back the dead than even to change the heart of one person. But we got to do it in order to get a Geula. We got to do it. And we can do it. And we've been doing it. And hopefully some of the following stories one day they're going to tell about me and you as well. But I want to tell you about a doctor in Brooklyn, Dr. Grunside. He has an office out in uh, Ralph Avenue. He's my father-in-law's doctor. He's a great guy. Now, you might remember this, you might not. A few years back, there was a very interesting video that they were sending around, went viral. And you know, I'll tell you the truth. I don't want you ladies to jump to any conclusions. But uh, I teach an 11th and 12th grade high school class. So, once upon a time, they used to bring apples to the teacher. Today, they bring videos. Rabbi, you gotta see this video. It's off the charts. I said, no, thank you. No, 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 Rabbi, there's no commercials. I said, yeah, thank you anyway. No, 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 Rabbi, there's no girls. I said, I understand. No, there's not even ladies. I said, so what are you showing me? There's nothing left. What, what, what are you showing me? It's gonna be a blank screen. So leave me alone, guys. I thank God. I got a phone that doesn't have any internet, doesn't have any social media, doesn't even have text. And look, you can pinch me, I'm still alive. I'm breathing. Matter of fact, I might be freer than some other people in the world. I remember those days when I used to get those three, 400 text messages a day. And if I didn't answer that text message in 0.2.2 seconds, I got the second text message with the question marks. Like, where are you already? How dare you? You did it. I said, you know what? The Gidolim in Israel told me, Rabbi Dovi, you claim to be some sort of a rabbi. A rabbi is supposed to stand up and make an impression, make an example. He says, you have to drop your text message. I said, okay. Now, seven ishma, that's what you tell me to do. That's what the Gidolim say. And whatever the Gidolim say is what we live by. I drop the text messaging. Now, I cheat a little bit. I'll tell you the truth. I'm not a big angel. I do have a shul phone that's sitting by one guy. He's my, he's a guy who helps me. He handles the shul phone. So the hundreds of messages comes in, he goes through them, the emergencies, he sends over to my wife's phone, and every night between seven and eight, we sit down for supper. You see what my supper looks like, ladies and gentlemen? When you understand this, you understand what supper looks like in the Ben Shushan house. I'm eating and she's reading. And she says, uh, Dovi, I think this is an emergency. Uh, I think this is a pra. I think maybe you call back this person. This, this is what it, but, Baruch Hashem, no videos. But there was a video I want to tell you about, and you can look this up. They took a bank envelope filled with cash. It was $1,000 in 20s. It's a nice wad. And they put it on the sidewalk, right in front of an ATM machine on the outside of a bank. And there it was, the cold cash, sitting on the sidewalk. And then they had candid cameras hidden from cars all around the street, zooming in on the wad of cash. And then they waited. And sure enough, I don't want to say the wrong thing now, because this is being taped, but one guy comes down the block. We're not going to start talking about ethnic groups. God forbid, we're not like that. But, but one guy comes down the block, and he sees the cash. 
and they zero in on the camera. Yannis is great. They zero in on the guy's face. And he picks up the cash and he starts fingering through and you can see like his eyes are like a slot machine. It's ring, you know, you see the dollar signs. And he looks and this guy looks at the bank. He looks at the ATM. He turns right, he turns left, and he runs. That was it. Halas, gone. Okay? They put another thousand bucks down on the floor. Again. This time, an older woman, Goya, comes down the block. She's pushing her uh, little thingy there. She walks by, and she sees the cash. She picks it up. Her face lights up. She looks at the ATM. She giggles. You got this? She giggles. She puts it tucks it sweetly into her pocketbook and she holds out the little push car and she keeps walking. And the guys in the camera, they're laughing and they, they, you can hear them saying, is there anybody honest in America? You hear them saying it. And they go through this one after the next person. Finally, finally, a guy with a yarmulke, Dr. Grunside, walks up to the bank and as he's walking onto the sidewalk, he stops and he sees the money. He picks up the money, he looks at the cash, he doesn't even bat an eyelash. He doesn't even, I mean, it's like, you don't even see the hesitation. He simply walks straight into the bank, and then the cameras of the bank take over, and they show you that he walks right up to the teller, and you hear him saying, hey, probably somebody was outside by the ATM, they dropped a lot of money, they're probably gonna come into the bank to claim it, I just wanted to return you the money. The bank managers come out, the, I mean, you, you name it, they literally threw the guy a parade. Baruch Hashem, he was wearing a yarmulke, I'm telling you, listen, you don't know, what a kiddush Hashem. And, they were, and you had to hear the, the, the cameraman when he came outside. The cameraman jump out of their cars, and they, oh, and they start giving him high fives. And, and then they tell him, it's good to see that there is an honest person left in America. And it's good for us to see that that guy was wearing a kippah. What a Kiddush Hashem. That video went viral. Everyone saw it. Everyone was, it was a few years back, two years back. It was, it was something wow. And what a Kiddush Hashem. And that's the moment that the Chen is found in the eyes of Goyim. That's what brings us to that step closer. That we change hearts. That they're able to see what a Jew really is about. I'm sure that everybody here saw the other video that you know I'm going to mention. And that is about that high school Rebbe in the five towns, Rabbi Noach Murov, who found the $98,000 in the desk that he bought from Craigslist. I know everybody saw this. This was very recent, not too long ago. No, you didn't say this is, this is, this is also a wow. I mean, uh, he found it. He bought a desk on Craigslist from some little old lady. And he was bringing it back to his house to put into his study. That was his uh, room to prepare his, uh, his, 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 his learning. Turns out, that the desk didn't fit through the door. So he had to take apart the desk to get it through the door to reassemble it in the room. So after he took the desk apart, he sees that in the back, literally flung behind one of the drawers, there was a big bulky plastic bag and there was a hundred dollar bill sticking out. He reaches to grab it and he sees behind it were many, many more hundred dollar bills. He pulls out the bag and he finds $98,000 in cash in this desk that he bought for 150 bucks off a of Craigslist. So what does he do? He calls up the old lady and he tells her, hey, are you missing $98,000? And the lady almost fainted over the phone. She says, I can't believe it. I, I, I lost that a few years back. That money was my inheritance money. I don't remember what I did with it. 
turns out that she put it in the drawer of the desk. And I don't know if you've seen sometimes these desks that aren't made so well, especially something bulky. When you open and close that drawer quick, it can slip to the back, and then once you close the drawer, you open it again, presto magic, it's gone. It's behind the drawer. And that's what happened with the monies over here in the cash. So he found it and he returned it to her. And this was, they went wild. This old lady, she couldn't believe that somebody would actually return the money. CNN shows up at Rabbi Noach Muraf's door. They want to meet the rabbi that returned the $98,000. They couldn't believe it. Wait, the video that my guy showed me was, not so much CNN, although my wife showed me that later, but there was a talk show host. I, I don't know who the guy is, Steve, some, I don't know who it was. But there's a talk show where they actually invited the rabbi on the talk show. And before they brought him on stage, the, the talk show host turns to the crowd, right? And he says to the crowd, if you were to find $98,000, would you go and give it back? You had to see the look on the crowd. There was a one person in the crowd that would even fake to say yes. They were all, you know, I beat them. I mean, it was all of them. They were, they were, no, they forget it. It's not even. And then he says, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you, Rabbi Noach Morov. He's a rabbi in a high school here in the five towns. And they bring the rabbi out, and the talk show host turns to the rabbi and says, Did you really return the money? He said, Yeah. You gave it back to the old lady? He said, Yeah. And he tells the whole story how. He found the money behind the drawer, the way I told it to you. And then the, the talk show host turns and says to him, Rabbi, please, just tell me honestly. Was there just maybe even a minute, even a moment, that you and your wife discussed whether to give the money back or not? Did you even hesitate? And this Rabbi Morov, I'm telling you, he wrote the script like a Kiddush Hashem should have been written. And he says, point blank in the guy's eyes, he says, we are religious, orthodox Jews. We were brought up on these morals. What's yours is yours. And what's not yours, you have no right to. We didn't think for a moment to keep it. We called immediately. We called immediately and they gave the monies back. It's amazing. And then the world is watching. They're watching this rabbi, I mean, a real religious looking guy on stage, on TV while the audience is going mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. think about that that's the chen that's the kiddush Hashem that's what we were put here to do we were put here to be the light onto the nations they are watching every move every step we and they expect it they expect from us more than anybody else I know it as a young boy, little, you know, I was going to Yeshiva Barapak, Yeshiva Teferet Elimelech years ago when I was a young boy. And I was that time in eighth grade and I was on the B9 going into Barapak every morning, 6.30 to catch Minyan. Oh boy, I remember those mornings. And I'm sitting there on the bus, I'm half asleep. You know, my mother got me up at uh, five to six, you know, it's really early for an eighth grader. And I'm sitting there going from Brooklyn, from Flatbush to, to, to Barapak. And as I'm sitting there, you know, the bus fills up, yeah, sir. The old lady gets on the bus and she's wearing the big cross on her neck. She walks right up to my seat and she looks down at me and nudges my leg as if to say, now, no, aren't you getting up for me? Now, I was half asleep. So I didn't even see her. The minute I saw her, I jumped up. I said, please have a seat. That's where we're trained. So we were taught in yeshiva. Please sit down. 
And she smiles. And as she's sitting down, she says out loud to the whole bus, I knew that the yeshiva boy would get up for me. They expected. She didn't walk up. There was another, how many kids on the bus? She didn't walk up to the, uh, I don't want to say. She didn't, she didn't I mean, when you're taped, you got to be so careful. I, I, she didn't walk up to the other kids. She walked up to the yeshiva boy. She knew, I have no question, this one's getting up for me. Why? Because every time she got on the bus, another yeshiva kid got up for her. They expect it. They expect from us better. And we have to deliver better. That's the chen be'enei ha'am. So we can get out of here already. The Kiddush Hashem is primary. I'm not sure if you heard uh, this past week, there was a whole speculation going back and forth if it did happen or if it didn't happen. But there is a gentleman, Mr. Richter, out in California. He owns like 90 nursing homes, whatever it is. He has 18,000 employees. What did he go and do? He bought each one of his 18,000 employees a Powerball ticket when it was 1.5 billion. Now, at that point, you know how Americans love action and entertainment. The word got out that actually a nurse, one of the people he, of his employees, actually won. Turns out I heard later on it wasn't true, she didn't really win, or maybe she didn't win the jackpot, she won a smaller amount. I, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but it doesn't matter to me if they won or not. That doesn't matter to me. It's a great ending to a story, and as a speaker, I'd love to give you the fireworks ending, but whether it happened or not, the point is, he went and bought 18,000 employees a Powerball ticket. One of the ladies that worked for him, one of the nurses, actually was interviewed. And they said, what do you think about your boss now that he bought you a Powerball ticket? What happens if you win? And with a big smile, she said on national TV, these are the benefits working for Jews. What a kiddush Hashem. That's unbelievable. What a fantastic, you know, this particular guy is a, is a, is a, is a really is an amazing, amazing Jew, amazing person. They say over this Mr. Richter, he was, uh, it's a famous story where he was uh, in an airport and over there docked with him waiting for flights was about four or five hundred American soldiers at that time. It's a famous story. And he saw they were eating out of these, these doggy bags and then he saw whatever they were eating was these, you know, hot cold pressed uh, type of airplane food that works on chemical. Uh, and the stuff tastes like chemical, you know. And he saw that this guy was eating as if one of the soldiers, he was eating as if he never ate. And he walked up to him and he said to him, you know, does that taste any good? And he says, oh man, this stuff is horrible. He says, but we're going to stop. I mean, this is what they give us in the army to eat. And he says, really? He turns to the captain or the commander, whoever was from the platoon, from the unit of these four, five hundred soldiers in the airport. He hands him his credit card. This is amazing. I was wow. He hands him a credit card and he tells him, lunch on me, gentlemen. I'm giving $50 a head per person. You go out, whatever they had there, Burger King, McDonald's, whatever it was, and he bought up lunch for the entire army. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You had to see this. I mean, I, someone showed me it in a, in a clip. I, they, they, uh, these guys look like someone handed them life. And they were cheering and high-fiving the guy and uh, they don't know what to do with themselves. Let them see what we are. We're giving people 
We're a moral people. We're a just people. We're a godly people. We're a genius people. Let them understand who the Jews really are. Why do we have to hear about all the terrible stories of one bad apple here and there? Let them see the real Klal Yisrael. What Kiddush Hashem? Let them see what our guys are committed to. Because I tell you the truth, if they would know what was the inside of our people, they would be amazed. Because I, every time, deal with the inside of our people, and I'm one on the team, and I'm amazed. Let me tell you where I'm coming from. I told you that I teach a 12th grade class in high school every day. And you know, last week when we had the $1.5 billion Powerball, so I had to use that to break open a certain point in Hashkafah with the guys. And I gave him the dirashah that I gave him, which is the speech that we heard last week, how Hashem can take anyone at any second and give them anything he wants, anyone. And he proved that to us last week for all those that ever questioned that such a thing was possible, to make someone a billionaire overnight. But then I told the guys, I said, guys, if you win, what would you do with the money? Nobody tell me. I want everybody to take out papers and just put your name on the top and write down exactly what you would do with the money. And believe me, ladies, each guy in my class, they were already spending the money before they bought the ticket. They were certain they're winning. There's no question they're winning. One kid told me, he said to me, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth. God should send the Powerball, billion dollar Powerball more often. This is the first week I prayed in a long time. I prayed this week like Kippur. He said, I'm telling you, Rabbi, I'm winning. Don't even bother buying a ticket. It's mine. I said, listen, I'd rather you win. Remember who your Rebbe is. <laughs> we gave out papers and everybody started writing a list. And I'm telling you, ladies, we started this at 10.35. Class breaks, recesses at 11 o'clock. They sat until 11.15, writing and writing, and they wouldn't, not even for recess. I want, you wanna hear something amazing? Amazing, as a Rebbe, and all the teachers and Rebbe's out there will love what I'm about to say now. Do you know, in those 40 minutes that they took to write out their whole list of the things they're gonna spend their money on when they win the big Powerball, do you know, they did not look at their phones once. They didn't pull out their phones once. They did nothing. The umbilical cord, it was buzzing and buzzing and buzzing, and they ignored it. And I'm saying to myself, oh, I can't believe this. It's possible. It's actually possible. We just got to be able to bring learning in their eyes up to the level of chashibut of money. And who knows, maybe they'll mature one day to put that crying iPhone away. Who knows? But until that point, let me tell you the papers that came back at 11.15. The principal walked in the middle and he sees it's 11.10 and everyone's in their desk writing. He looked at me like, what in the world is going on? I just, I just tell them, you know, just forget it. It's about my, oh, money, flu, sure, okay, no problem. Here, I'd have to say another word. 11.15, everyone gives in their papers. I start going through, listen, I want to tell you, look at the hearts of our guys. I'm honest. At the bottom of the lists, there were all different types of wonderful boy toys like uh, Lamborghinis and uh, Maseratis and, uh, you know, and, and houses in Miami and Turnberry and Deal and uh, you know, yeah, these guys, they're not even married yet, but they trained them well. You gotta have a house here and a house there and a house there. And a, so they have to get up with the times because they're only 17. What are they gonna do without a house in Turnberry? So that's where the money's going, Rabbi. But here's the beauty. 
those were the bottom, let's say five or six. What was the top three of literally, I would say 14 out of 15 papers. What was the top three? Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. The first one was that they're going, they're going to give it to a yeshiva. The second one was that they're going to give out food for Shabbat for people. That's a, that was a nice one. I don't know where they got you know, exactly that one from. And then the third one was they're going to give it to the night seder to get more rebbies so we can get more guys in so we can have more trips. That's what they wrote. So we can have more trips, right? But look, but look, 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 look where their hearts are. Ah, if we could just forget about the world, if we could show this to ourselves, to remember who we are, and what type of a giving and loving and good people we are, and to forget about all the competitions, and to forget about all the garbage. We were a community that was built once upon a time on building each other. People used to share business contacts with each other. They used to give each other leads. They used to give each other tips. They would start each other off on business. They would give each other non-interest loans. Today, a guy walks down the block. He's shooting my business. I'll take you to bed in. Excuse me, I'm just walking down the block. Just walking down the block. Ready, the guy's suing me. Rabbi, we forgot who we are. And we're supposed to show the goyim who we are? We forgot who we are. We forgot the Baalei Chesed. We forgot the Rahmanim Bnei Rahmanim. We forgot it. We got to remember who we are. Let me just finish off, ladies, by telling you. Two weeks ago, we took the 80 guys, 100 guys, or whatever we have every night, and the night say they're here for a Shabbaton in Lakewood. And this was something. It was a very low maintenance and a uh, what we call economical Shabbaton. Because it was mostly for guys, singles, out of high school or 12th grade, nobody married. This was just a night seder Shabbaton, all the rabbis and all the guys. And I brought them back to my old neighborhood in Lakewood, to the villas, and there, the upside, my wife gets to remember her old house in Lakewood. Ah, what can I tell you? I'm not going to go there, but believe me when I tell you, she came from the Ein Hara, a house in Lakewood, and I wanted to bring her back for a Shabbat to enjoy, so we reopened the house. We put up the guys in all the surrounding houses in the area. The beauty about this area of the villas is it's very similar to Sanhedrin Murcheve in Israel. It's a big circle. It's a huge complex of houses, of cul-de-sacs, and there's one entry to come in and one entry to go out. So Shabbat, Everything stops. There's no cars. There's an Eruv around the entire villas. And like this, on Shabbat, when they walk around, no one walks on the sidewalks on Shabbat. Literally, it looks like a mini Jerusalem. All the ladies pushing their carriages and the kids running back and forth. It's something, it's really something beautiful to see. Nothing moves on Shabbat. You don't see a car, you don't see nothing. I wanted them to see this. So every year we bring them to Lakewood for a Shabbaton. And you know, Baruch Hashem, many people, they were so good to us. They gave us their basements. The Lakewood basements are gorgeous. All the houses are brand new. Private entry, their little mini apartment suites. The guys, they couldn't believe the accommodations. They thought they were going to Oyoyoy land. And it turned out that it was luxury of luxury. It blew them away. We put up all the guys and the rabbis and their wives in all different houses. Shabbat comes. And sure enough, the guys start getting into it. 
Onyx Shabbat Friday night, they all came up to my house. Each guy got up and he said how the night Seder changed his life. He used to go to this club and that place and now he's learning for the last three years every night from eight to 10, it's unbelievable. I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is going great. But between me and you ladies, this was New Year's weekend. That's why we did it on that weekend. Because that's party weekend. So we ship them out to an island called Lakewood. So like this, they're gonna have to party with us. Instead of chas shalom, bumping into any balls falling on their heads, you know what I mean? Because of that, we had to come up with a crazy thing to do Saturday night, Mosei Shabbat. Because if we don't, you have to remember, our guys, they don't come on yellow buses. They came in their own cars. You had to see the looks on the faces of the native Lakewooders. They start seeing these Lexuses and Jaguars pulling into the <laughs> What's going on here? They, they, they literally, they thought like, I don't know, the president of South Africa was coming to the Lakewood Villas. Ooh, it was a whole entourage. If we don't come up with something great, Shabbat's over, they're gone. Gone to the city or wherever. So what do we do? So I said to them, guys, listen, we have something planned for you tonight. I'm telling you, off the charts. Besides the kumzits, and we have a guitarist and a violinist, and we have every type of food you can imagine, Malava Malkana. But one thing you guys don't dare miss, right after Shabbat, I'm taking you to one of the great rabbis of Lakewood, one of the Rosh Hashivot. Yeah, rabbi, so, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. You're gonna love him. But after that, you know what we got for you guys? We brought in special for you guys. A professional Hollywood hypnotist. And he is going to do hypnosis show and he's going to knock out literally 10 guys at a time under hypnosis. And he's going to have you guys doing backflips in there. You, you guys don't know what's coming. What? Come on, Rabbi, legit. No, no, can I even make this stuff up? I'm telling you, honest. If not, you can leave. Okay, Rabbi, we're waiting for it. They ended up, we first took him out to the Rabbi. They loved the Rabbi. They got berachot from him. They didn't want to leave him. Finally, we bring the guys back. We start the Mlava Malka. Amar Hashem, the hypnotist shows up. Now, this hypnotist was more than I even expected. I'll be honest, ladies. I was nervous. I knew they were going to try to push me up there because that's generally what happens. But I said, no, 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 no. I got to keep an eye on this because I got to bring everybody home awake. So let's just see what's going on. He picks out of the audience a bunch of guys. He brings up about eight guys. One Rebbe, a few single guys, a few high school kids. And he says to them, gentlemen, there's no such thing as hypnosis against your own will. You have to work with me. But if you work with me, you'll see this is an amazing thing. He gets them all to stand up. He starts talking in a funny tone of voice. He starts telling them to look up and to look down and this way and that way and to close their eyes and to lift their neck and to go up and down. And then he says, gentlemen, I want you to put your hands together and clench your hands together as one fist. And then I'm gonna count down to three and snap my fingers. And the minute I snap my fingers, you will not be able to separate your hands. I said, nah, come on. Sure enough, he counts down from three, two, one, snaps. He tells them, okay, gentlemen, open your eyes. They open their eyes. Okay, gentlemen, separate your hands. And you see these guys. I couldn't believe my eyes. They could not, they could not separate their hands. And these guys were like, they were like, as if they were wrestling with somebody. They couldn't pull their hands apart. I said, wow. 
Okay, now we're getting into something. Oh, Hashem. Finally, this guy knows what he's doing because I was scared I was going to get... These guys were going to really give it to me if it wasn't a great show. I messed up their big night. After that, he sits them down. After that, he knocks them all out. Now, ladies, at the end of the show, he tells them to stand up under hypnosis and he tells the crowd, I'm going to tell all the guys that their right foot is cemented to the ground and then... I'm going to tell them to open their eyes. I'm going to tell them to play as if they're going back to normal. And I'm going to ask them to go back to their seats and watch what happens when their right foot is as if cemented to the floor. So he gets up and he counts down to three and he snaps and he turns to the eight guys up that are hypnotized and he says to them, gentlemen, your right foot is right now glued to the floor. When I tell you to open your eyes on three, you're going to open your eyes and you're going to go back to your seats. One, two, three, he snaps, they open their eyes. He says, okay, ladies and gentlemen, give a big round of applause for our eight volunteers and everyone's clapping. And he turns to the eight guys and says, okay guys, go sit down. And they're, ugh, ugh. And we were dying laughing, we have videos of this. We, 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 we couldn't believe our eyes. They couldn't move, all eight of them. And they were literally schlepping their foot, they couldn't move. Why am I telling you this? For this one moment. This was my moment. Ah. In the middle of the show, he has them deeply under hypnosis. He whispers into each one of the eight guys' ear, you just won $10 million. When I snap my finger, you're gonna stand up and you're gonna show me your reaction to the winning of $10 million. And then when I say now, you're gonna tell everybody what you're gonna do with the money. I said, nah. He comes up to the first guy. He taps him on the back of his head. He counts down to three and snaps. The guy jumps up. He looks around. The guy starts jumping, screaming. Whoa! And he's going, the guy's going crazy. And we're dying laughing. But it was real. The guy was going Mishnun. Finally, he tells to the guy, now. And he stops. And he looks around and says, I'm going to buy a house on Ocean Parkway. And then I'm going to buy this. And then I'm going to buy that. And then I'm going to buy this. And he's listening off the whole thing. Everyone claps. He says, okay, four, three, two, one, snaps. The guy falls back. He puts him down. Goes to the next guy. Same story. I'm going to buy, this guy was creative. I'm going to get a, he's what he say, a flat in California. I don't know where that one came from. And I, I keep my eye on that kid. And I, it was, it was, this show was great, I'll tell you. It taught me a lot about the guy. All right, anyways, so I'm going to do this. Okay, great. One guy by guy. He comes up to the fourth kid, ladies. He snaps. The kid jumps up. Screaming, yelling, he's jumping on the chair, yelling, oh, I won, I won, I won. And he's looking for his phone, he says, I gotta call my mother. He says, no, 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 not now, you'll call her later. No, really, he, he, he wanted a call. And he says, now, what are you gonna do with the money? He looks around, he says, I'm giving it to Rabbi Duvi Morgan Abraham. I said, oh my gosh, he said that under hypnosis. I looked at my wife and she looked at me like, is that real? I said, I, I can't believe it. This kid, ladies, a boy, high school, not even my class. I didn't even give him that much time, this kid. He was still coming up in the ranks, so to speak. He's only with us for about a year or two. I, I just didn't see it. I walked up to the professional, to the hypnotist, and I said to him, tell me, what does that mean? Was he really? He says, yeah, he was deep on there. I said, so, but wait one second, but what's, where did that come That can't be a sketch, right? He says, no. I said, so who are we talking to? He says, you were talking to his subconscious. Not his, not his subconscious. He says, that, I said, you mean that, 
this kid really? I mean, legit? He would, it's in his heart to, he says, yeah. He says, why do you think every single other guy was, I'm not gonna believe it. Look at what we have. Look at our people. Look at our gems. Look what they have to give. Look what they have to show. Says Boreolam, it's time to change hearts. It's time you're going on vacation. You might be the first and last Jew that some goy somewhere in the world might get to observe, might get to see. Make the impression for the whole nation. Who knows? That might be the chen that we were missing to finally get out of this galut. Ladies, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.